he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Volatified, the one and only podcast about event engagement and entertainment. I'm Anthony Volata, your number one Volatifier, and I'm here with my cohort in crime, as always, the lovely, the talented Miss Alex Apostolides. Hey, Alex! Hello! I love the lovely and talented. We need to keep that in always, even if it's not true, but I love it. Absolutely. It remains, it remains in my heart, even if it's not always on my lips. So that you can Aww. always count on. And to that, to that uh, point, Alex and I started a stand-up comedy class, as we had mentioned with Susanna Spees. And she is a terrific facilitator, makes Aww. us all feel like a million bucks. So much fun. Uh, I just hope that I can rise to the challenge of being funny alone on stage. And that's what I realized taking that first class, I realized, Oh, Anthony, your gift is working with people on stage. Being alone on stage is completely different. You know, it's just all up to you. So I'm a little scared. I understand the scary part. Trust me. I was terrified going into that class. Um, But I also found it so freeing. I have to tell you, I was having I was having the best time. I'm like, I don't want it to. Can we go another two hours, please? I'm having a lot of fun. But to speak into what you just said, I've seen you alone on stage in front of an audience. Let's just <laughs> preface that. Hello. <laughs> Hello. You're, you're one of the funniest people I know. Oh, come on. Especially That's when, no, no, seriously, especially just when you let loose and you're not thinking, which all performers do, right? Everybody, when we're not in our head and we're not thinking about it and we don't even remember what we said, those are usually the best, the best performances. So, you know, you're right. I think, I think you've got some gold there. And I I think probably what most of us do is we guard ourselves. We don't want to be rude or nasty. And one of the tenets of stand-up is to sort of search in your soul those things as she taught us on Saturday mm-hmm. that are your pet peeves the things that really annoy you right king in on those things and finding the humor in them so there's mm-hmm. that and then there's also the fact that lately and please don't judge me <laughs> but I have been listening to quite a bit of Dr. Laura uh, and she has this tendency to call people who are trying to do the right thing, trying to be nice. And she says that it's boring. Like if it's just not really what you mean, you know, it's just boring. Being nice and being normal is boring. People have emotions and, you know, you need to express them. And, and you know, to some degree, she's right. I mean, you still have to have some kind of, to my thinking, you know, threshold, but she, uh, she totally advocates for that. So I think the the two, you know, lessons converging on little me may have some, hopefully some impact, you know, that's what I'm hoping <laughs> for. 
you know? It's a combination of being free and aware. You know, I mean, I, I have uh, spent a large part of the last several years, 20 or so of my life, um, spending time with people who don't necessarily possess filters. And I can tell you how it can be a really awful thing. Yes. Well, I think, and that is because the key ingredient there is finding the humor, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and as we were going through the first class, what I realized is this can't be, there's such a fine line between it sounding like you're complaining mm -hmm. and it's, it's being, it being funny, you know, mm -hmm. so the, the passion has to sort of exist in the delivery the delivery still has to have a quirkiness to it that yes. makes it funny. Otherwise it comes across as complaining. And mm -hmm. so that's the thing that we're not discussing right now, you know? And so that's what keeps, I keep thinking about like, you know, yes, I want to be, because again, one of the things she says is to be authentic, mm -hmm. which makes sense, especially if you're new and, and you don't, you know, you're trying this out. You want to focus on things that are real, but you know, is Balada the kind of personality that can stand on stage and and come across as funny, you know, and not bitchy or complainy? So in order to do that, you sort of have to think about how that delivery needs to come across so that it it is funny. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, part of what makes Susanna funny is the way she responds to those things. Yeah. Right, right, and what right, goes right. around in her kooky head? She's quick. God, she's quick. Mm. Yeah, she's very, very quick. It's really impressive. You know, I have really come to admire comedians as I've uh, matured in life. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have a lot of respect or really knowledge about it when I was growing up, but it's such an art form. And you know, the other thing that we're not talking about in class yet, and I'm sure we will, yeah. is you can find all these things, you can find humor in a variety of things, but then you have to piece all that together in some way that makes sense, right? Right. So there's, if you're delivering a five minute or seven minute routine, so there's that piece too. And of course, I'm always, I should stop my head and you know, <laughs> I'm already thinking, okay, but this is already very, very complicated. <laughs> I spent an hour and a half after the class, just so you know, writing down notes. Did you? Yes. Because, you know, I handwrite when things mm -hmm. are going. I don't want to be doing this, you know, typing. So I handwrite and scribble and make arrows and um, which you see me do when you and I are in a meeting and I'm like yeah. all over the place. Right. And then I have to go back and transcribe them and I have to do it right away. So I know what I'm talking about. Yes. Or remember. That's that's a very good point. That's not something I'm very good at doing. And I kept thinking about, I don't know if you watched um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel at all. A bit of it. Yeah, I, I, I got into the first part of it, but go ahead. I loved it. I lo no, I loved it. But it, I just, the whole day Saturday, I kept going back to when she, the character would talk about having your, I think it's five, your solid five. You got to have a solid five. You got to always be able to have a solid five minute routine and honing it and honing it and honing it. And as I'm typing up things and going, okay, well, here could be my topics and trying to make connections. And I'm thinking, 
and I'm writing down sentences and I've had to stop myself. I'm like, don't start writing script because then it becomes rehearsed. Because when I got to just talk off the top of my head, I had a really fun time because I wasn't thinking. Right. And then as I was doing them, like, you're going to get too much in your head. Right. Well, the writing is slower than the Mm -hmm. mind. So Mm -hmm. it, you know, and you like me can't type probably as fast as we think. So it does get lost because you start slowing down because you're trying to write things out and then you lose the, 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 the thread of thought. Right. So I completely understand. One of the things that she told us she uses is a tape recorder, which is her phone, her, her, her iPhone that she brings with her. And I've done that on occasion too. You just record things in that because you're not stopping yourself and then later transcribe them. So I think that might be a good tool for yeah, you. That's a, Alex, yeah, absolutely. Start doing those voice memos, get used to that. Um, I totally understand where that's coming from. Well, I was taking a lot of notes during class. Um, so I didn't take a lot after class because I was a little burnout by the end of class. Um, just was a long day. Uh, but I do, I do think about it a lot. Um, and oh, I was a little thrown because I had gone into class with some thoughts about what I might use as material. And then I got caught up with that list and I wasn't really comfortable with anything. I mean, I wrote a bunch of things down, but then it all started to feel like complaining. The thing that I want to be able to use is my family and my mom. And yes, my that's gold. Yeah, and I think that also works into the it works also into the idea of aging, which is something else that is funny to me. Right. Um, so yeah, I think so. That whole that the, sort of the the topic seeking, I guess, in my own mind, I'd already done that as well, and so I got thrown by the list, thinking, well, I guess I should pick something from this list just to sort of conform. But when I go back next week, I am not in our second class. I'm going to say, you know, these are the topics I think that I might find the most, the most gold. Absolutely. Joyce is gold. Joyce is is gold. They're both Joyce and and Frank. They are, they are comedy gold. Um, And it's funny because like you, and I think this is why we work so well, is that I'm a perpetual planner. I mean, I love spontaneity. Don't get me wrong. Like I, if I'm having fun, I don't want my fun all planned out. But if I'm preparing for something, and I last week emailed Susanna, um, I, my type A is coming out. I feel like I missed something. What am I supposed to be preparing? What should I have written? What should I? She's like, nothing. And Friday night, I was going to go to bed with my glasses on, propped up with a notebook so that anything that came as I fell asleep. And then I finally said, you know what? You need to just chill the bleep out and whatever happens Saturday will happen and enjoy it. Cause now you're making yourself so nervous and um, feeling like you're not prepared that it's not going to be fun. And you just allow this to be fun. Right. So it was a nice little lesson for myself. Cause I'm not so good at that. Yeah. So there are times in our lives when we have to be willing to go along for the ride. And, you know, those of us in advance, that's what we strive for whenever we we have the opportunity to mm-hmm. work on one is to give the event goer a bit of a ride, you know, a little a bit of the unexpected, some highs, some emotional moments, maybe if you're able to. But um, 
what what's funny about what you just said is you're you're very uh you like spontaneity but you sort of have to plan for it so if it's plant <laughs> i'm the same way but now right, when I'm, it comes for fun i'm ready to be spontaneous now i've given myself two hours for spontaneity let's see what happens anybody <laughs> anybody out there ready no when it comes to fun you know, and I love surprises too, which doesn't always go along with that type A OCD type of personality I have, but I love, I love surprises. It does when you're the person surprising you because it becomes more fun to surprise. It's more fun to surprise a type A than it is a type B because a type A is the person is the type that's <laughs> right, right. Or at least, yeah, is not, yeah, yeah, it's definitely on top of it. Yeah. I won't go so far as to say snooping, peeping, peeking, you know, any of that, but, you know, sort of has an inkling that something is happening. And the thing is, I love surprises so much. I don't want to know. And I think because I don't want to know, my brain goes into like Christmas. I don't even want to see my presents until it's time to open them because I don't want any idea of what they are. I love that element as the kid, same way. And I'm happy now that you, you get presents on Christmas. I do have it. See, this is why you have children, Anthony. This is why, this is why they give you things. And when you tell them the story about your own mother and how you realized at 16, nobody was filling her stocking. Everybody's stocking was full and your mother's was flat. And I and so it became my mission to make sure my mom had more presents under that tree than anybody because I felt bad. And I just relayed that story to my daughter when she was little. So now it's her mission. Ah, very smart. Always you know, thinking. My sister, who is a mother, um, happens to be the one that I think gets the most gifts at Christmas because, you know, she gets brotherly gifts and daughterly gifts and motherly gifts and wifely gifts. And, you know, so she's like sort of right in the middle of our family, you know, so she gets, you know, gifts from all the angles. It's it's usually like pretty nice. You know, she being, deserves it. She does. She does. I like to spoil her myself. Yeah, I know I'm you do. You sister. are. I yeah. have to say you're one of the best big brothers I've ever known. And if my Thank brothers are out there listening or they ever listen, you guys are great too. I love you both. <laughs> Thank you. But I will like to point out that I am a baby brother because my sister's older. That's but true. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. They just wanted to point that out for my sake, just for my own sake. Because, you know, the years, they keep it going. They keep one after the other. Uh, so as part of our show, one of the things that we want to talk about, we'll have these little segments every now and then. Uh, one of our segments is called It's Risky B. Oh, my God. It's a risky way. This is a segment in which Alex and I will focus on topics that potentially, you know, pause a risk for event producers, planners, and hosts, you know, anything, any, anything that can pause a risk. And what we'd like to do is call what we talk about from a little solicitation. We will send out an email, but we also ask you to find us online at info at and let us know if you have any any issues regarding risky business or risky B, and that would be risk management, the management of risk, uh, which has to do with weather, which has to do with travel, which has to do with health, as we are now uh, 
experiencing. Um, any potential risk to an event is what we're looking to discuss on this program. Oh my God, it's a risky way. Some of the research that I've done, and mind you, this is a bit embarrassing to admit, but I've been in the event world for a long time, more than 25 years. Uh, you started so it too. I started it so and a half. So <laughs> okay. um, I'm five. Um, and so uh, I found through some research, the Event Safety Alliance, which is an alliance dedicated, of course, to the safety of live events and to understanding all of the conditions around live events so as to help planners plan mm -hmm. safe events. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I came upon them through a, a reopening guide that they published, which is very informative. And it speaks to, it's very recent. It was just published at the beginning of the year, the end of 2020. And it speaks to uh, what we know now with regard to COVID-19 how it's passed uh, and the mm -hmm. kinds of testing that we have in place, as well as the precautions that we have in place, like mask wearing, temperature taking, social, social distancing. Distance. Exactly. So all of those things combined uh, is what this report is about. It takes all of those things into consideration and it basically lays out what kinds of events would be the safest to start opening. And it's all based on whether people are wearing masks and whether you have those social distancing uh, um, opportunities in place. And then it gives you sort of a risk assessment across a varied number of um, variables, if you will, regarding the risk. So the assessment of say a uh, face, a, a, an event where everyone's wearing a face covering and it's a very short time period, say an hour, the likelihood that people will walk away with COVID if it is an outdoor event is very low. And then of course, those uh, that likelihood begins to heighten and heighten and heighten as you take an event indoor, you mm -hmm. bring more people into it, you introduce factors such as non-mandatory mask wearing. So it's a really interesting guide and I believe gives planners something to assess because we don't have any other information regarding right. events. And right now events are still on hold, live events. Mm -hmm. And and what basically they're pointing out is that what we know about COVID today far exceeds what we knew when we closed down everything. And so there is a guide, this is a guide to reopening. This is sort of a manifesto for how to take in all the information and open safely. And so I'm hoping that people will listen to them and that people will find the event safety alliance their guide is right on their website it is free they also have a survey they're currently engaged oh. in very interesting i'm not really um the target market for the survey but some of our listeners may be because they're doing a survey on uh nightclubs and festivals for the safe reopening oh, of wow. those two 
Yeah, and they're looking for uh, for people who do go to festivals, music festivals and nightclubs to participate because they want to know basically what the, uh, the event going public is concerned about. What are their concerns? What will it take for event planners, the event planning community to do to ensure that people who come to events feel safe. This is not scientific. This is not about reducing the likelihood because all that is a given. This is about meeting the need to actually bring those people to the events, you know, their safety, their, mm -hmm. their, their confidence in your safety protocols, those kinds of things. Because we, of course, know that events won't open without any kind of government lifting of this quarantine or stay home orders. Nobody in their right mind, no event professional, and I know a lot of them in okay. their right mind would have or host a live event today that, um, God, is, no. right, right, that does, <laughs> nobody would have one, period, except for the few that we heard about over the break, we did hear about a few that all, but by the way, suffered some interesting calamities, the ones that we heard about, um, but nobody in <laughs> their right mind. Not to laugh at the calamities. Right, not to laugh at them, but you know, you sort of get what you deserve, right? You should have never had the event in the first place. Uh, but, you know, uh, with the notion that of course, anybody in the right mind would not, would not even begin to throw an event or try to host an event before it is legally okay to do so. Um, and morally okay to do so. Mm -hmm. This speaks to the comfort of the the festival goer. That's what that's what the event industry, the event safety alliance, would like to surmise. Would like to gain information on. And they are working with an accredited uh, research facility to gain this information. So again, if you find them on the event safety alliance. I believe it's eventsafetyalliance.org. Find their website, look up this information, especially if you're a planner. And especially, well, no, if you're a planner, because you should always have mm -hmm. risk mitigation in mind. I think uh, one of the things to consider before we move on is if, if, you know, I've been in this a long time and it is rare that we have to, in at least, uh, uh, those of us who work in corporate or in private events have to th think such, you know, on such a, a wide scale, such a large scale, like somebody who's doing a festival or a concert, it's still very good information to have. And yes. I think what we're learning is that, you know, you can't be overly prepared. There's just no way, mm -hmm. you know, it's where type A is really important. Exactly. And so you, you have to have a safety plan. And so please do find the Event Safety Alliance. Please do contact us again, info at bolada.com. Let us know if you have any uh, risk management issues or concerns that you'd like to share with us. And we will attempt to uh, discuss them on the show. We'd like to know what they are. I would like to move into our guest today. Yay! <laughs> so, because we have somebody who is not risk adverse no. at all, but uh, knows how to plan for it for sure. Oh my gosh. She's crazy. We're talking about plans A, B, C, D, E, F, G. 
That's our next guest, right? She has it <laughs> yes, all absolutely. <laughs> and have to throw in the S for the smile that's always on her face. Always. Right? It's amazing. Always. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny when we were, um, when I was just reading things and the other day I came across this quote and it made me think of her. And I mean, it just, it, to me, it's very apropos. So the quote goes, it's about the journey, mine and yours and the lives we can touch, the legacy we can leave and the world we can change for the better. That's her. I think, right. Isn't it? It's perfect for her. I, Anthony, when I first met her, I have to uh, confess, I thought that she did philanthropic work. That's what she did. You know, I thought she, I, I don't know if I thought she had a, a, a job job. I thought this is a woman who dedicates her life to volunteering, to philanthropic work, to making sure that our society in general just functions better, you know, and that she's always out there helping. And one of the reasons I felt this way about her is because she does every, everything she does in her life is with kindness and compassion and dedication and love. And so you think, well, most people don't have that within them when they're just talking about their actual nine to five, but she approaches her nine to five, if for lack of better terminology, with those qualities. Okay, so tell And then everybody, I found it, well, right? Wait, wait, wait. Tell everybody what her nine to five is. She works, uh, she's the executive director of the Friends of Vista Hill, which is a fundraising department of the Vista Hill Foundation. So it, it's a social service agency for people with mental and substance use disorders, um, right? And intellectual and development disorders. Right. Here in San Diego. And, in San Diego yes, here in San Diego. And um, what is her five to nine? Her five to nine. Oh my, well, it's not just one though. That's the whole thing. Okay. So she is the, she owns her own event company called Planet San Diego, which she started, I found out at the age of 24. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's just crazy to me. At 24, I don't, I don't even want to admit. Well, I, no, was, I was, I was in diapers. I'll admit it. <laughs> Oh my God. I was just, you know, doing a whole lot of community theater. Um, but in addition to those five to nine, nine to fives, she, you know, so I just read this about her giving of her time and talent and treasure is literally in her blood. It's her lifeline. She works with a lot of char charitable, excuse me, organizations uh, like the leukemia and lymphoma society. She sat on the board of that from 2015 to 2017. And we need to ask her, but I think she's going to be sitting on that board again this year if she isn't already. I believe she was a woman of the year too, or a woman of distinction. Yes, uh, she was. Both as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> she's the woman every of every year. year. Right. Every year. Uh, she also does work for the Mission San Diego de Alcala. Is Alcala the proper, I'm a native San Diego and I should know that. Is that the proper pronunciation? I believe it is. I say okay. Mission San Diego de Alcala, but I think okay. that some people do say de Alcala, but I think they're wrong. Yeah, I, we'll ask I'm Rachel not, what know, she thinks when she comes. We'll ask on. her. Uh, she also works with the Catholic Church, and oh, oh, oh! I know you know this, but uh, she served on the Radies Children Hospital Charity Ball Committee for years. Years. So, 
years, years. I mean, I'm floored by her energy, as I know right. you are. Let's bring her on. Let's bring Tell her us. on. Because she does more in one day than most of us do in like a week. So please welcome Miss Rachel Panici. Hello, Rachel. I'm so happy hello. to be here. Hello, hello. Hello, beautiful. It's so nice to see you and hear you. It's nice to you see you. You sound beautiful. Too. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the world of philanthropy, huh? Wow. What a world. It is what Crazy. a world. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy world. So tell me how things are at Vista Hill these days. Well, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're hanging in there and we're doing what we do best, which is serve people in our community who are most vulnerable and who really need our help. So a pandemic can't take that away from us. We're going to keep doing what we need to do and uh, serve them and serve them to the best of our ability and keep our staff safe and keep all of our clients safe. And that's been our goal. So it's it's been a full-time job just doing that. But I have to say, it's been a remarkable year as far as fundraising. People have been so generous. And I think they understand that um, this is a time for giving. Yes. I'm glad to. So Rachel, we wanted you on the show for a number of reasons, but um, one of them, even though we're not really in uh, an era of live events right now, is your ability and capacity to really flesh out an event, to make it meaningful, yes. to make it engaging, and to find the even the small things that really make a big impression and really matter to people. And so, yeah, I'd like to just sort of discuss how you go about that, what your process is. And I'd like to start by asking you about theming and whether okay. you think it's important or not. Event theming. I think it brings people together and I think it's exciting and I like it. I, I think it's fun. Um, you know, we all have a lot of choices when it comes to going to any event, let alone a nonprofit gala or a fundraiser. So our group at Vista Hill, at least I'll speak on behalf of that organization. Um, they like to get dressed up. They like to, to do that. And I think it's fun and clever and it keeps me engaged. So I figure if it keeps me engaged in the process of planning events, I've been doing that for over 20 years now and, uh, which makes me feel old, but, um, you know, nope. I, I, I want to keep it exciting too. So right. I, I think themes are good if they fit the mission and you can weave that into the story. If it's just a casino night for a casino night, that's, you know, that's fun. Right. But if it doesn't fit the mission of the organization, um, you know, it's, it, it's just another theme. So the, I always try to be clever about it um, and bring the meaning to, to our, our programs and tell the story. You do. And actually, before we move on, and there's one thing I'd, I'd like to also point out, and that is what you just explained is the fact that you mm -hmm. do work with the same audience year after year after year. Now, of course, you try to expand that audience, but it's still the, you know, your base audience is still there. And so theming really does help serve you to, to boil up something different on an annual basis as well. Absolutely. And it, it just helps tell the, a different story or a different side of the story, or, you know, we, we're multifaceted at Vista Hill. We have three main focus areas. So I try to highlight those and keep people top of mind of the things that we do. So 
um, you know, I, I, I like to keep it interesting and mm -hmm. relevant and yes. current yes. and all the things that we yeah. want to do with everything else. So it's not always easy, um, but we try, we try to do it. And, and I get inspiration from a lot of different places. Well, and I like the fact that when you are um, finding themes, when you're looking at themes, you're always thinking about your goals and your objectives. It's one of the things that I teach when I teach. It's one of the things I know you talk about. And so, and you mentioned it already, you know, a theme is a theme unless it has something really to do with your goals, objectives, or your organization. So, you know, inspirations, where do they come from for you to make that so, happen? Yeah, a lot of pop culture. Um, I like the theater. I like going to movies. I like doing all the things that our donors and our audiences like to do as well. So, um, you know, I went and saw Hamilton. I was fortunate to, uh -huh. to see it on Broadway with Lin-Manuel Miranda, which was mm, amazing. So mm -hmm. And I got to go behind the scenes and backstage and meet him afterwards, which was oh a thrill of my life, to be honest. Um, and His too, by the way. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. But, um, so it was really exciting to sit there and I just thought I was going to be thinking about Hamilton and the story. And of course, we all know what happens, right? I mean, it's not a surprise ending. Right. And at the end, it was a surprise for me because out comes Eliza Hamilton. And she, I didn't know anything about Eliza Hamilton other than she was, you know, the wife, right? I mean, I didn't know she lived 50 years after he died. I didn't know she started our first foster care system in the United States. And so that's what got me was this little bit of a surprise ending. And I thought she's the story. For me, I took away that she was the story. And so I read some books about her and I just got into her story. And since one of the things we do at Vista Hill is work with families who um, whose children might have been taken away from them and who are getting them back and who, you know, we do with the foster care system. I was really interested in how we could pull that in to what we do at Vista Hill. And then it just, you know, kind of so happened that our board chair's name is Vicki Hamilton mm -hmm. and she has a daughter-in-law named Eliza. <sighs> so we got her to be involved, the next generation, which is great, which is all about what we're trying to do at Vista Hill, bring in the next generation and the next generation after that. And um, so we just kind of went from there and it turned out to be our 60th anniversary. Hamilton had been out for a little while. I'd say half the people had seen it. Half the people were dying to see it. That's right in the place we want to be, right? Where Wait, it had just won the Tony four months prior. So it exactly. was the hottest thing on Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Every, yeah. So I saw it on Broadway. And then a friend of mine said to me, hey, my, my friends, the lighting guy on Hamilton, and he's traveling the country and he's in Chicago. And let's go to Chicago and see Hamilton in Chicago. So we did. And I'm reading the playbill and seeing who's playing what roles. And all of a sudden, Eliza Hamilton is being played by a San Diegan native. And I thought, this is perfect. And again, we got to go backstage after the show. And so I got to meet her and we got to talking and it turned out her godmother is on our board at Vista <laughs> Hill. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So here I am in Chicago, it's freezing. It's, you know, all these things, but she's from San Diego. I tell her about Vista Hill. Ari Afsar is her name. And she then came to our event 
she sang a song that she wrote. She couldn't at the time sing a Hamilton song mm -hmm. because she was still playing in that role and the rights of all of that. But now she's been with us for a couple of events. So, you know, sometimes you just get lucky, but I think you can also make your luck happen. You just use the right contacts and reach out. And I, I, I actually just went to our board and said, hey, she's a local gal. Anybody happen to know her? And it turned out her godmother sat on our board. Doesn't hurt to ask is I guess nope. another, another great uh, lesson from this whole thing. No, and she was lovely, lovely mm -hmm. to work oh, with and lovely on lovely. stage. She yeah. still is yeah. lovely, yes. Yeah. And, and so what else did you do to flesh out the Hamilton theme? So, well, thank you for asking, because wow. then I called up my good friend, Anthony Bellotta <laughs> and, said, and said, okay, here's my crazy idea. Let's, uh, let's do something with this. And I know how talented you are, Anthony, and we work so well together. <sighs> yeah. We had done that in the past. And so you said, let's, it's the 60th anniversary. Give me some content about Vista Hill. And you rewrote the opening act. And as we want to do with all of our events at Vista Hill, you know, we want to represent the population that we serve, which is very multicultural from lots of different backgrounds, every shape, size, color. So that was really important to me, which is also the theme of Hamilton. And Alex got to be in on this one too. And got yeah, to it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And we redid the opening number. And it was all about the history of Vista Hill and the people we serve and what we do. We literally knocked their socks off at that mm -hmm. event. And as a matter of fact, I wasn't sure what I was going to do to follow that, which we can talk about in a minute. But I, I mean, it was a tough act, going to be a tough act to follow. And it was our 60th anniversary. So we went in with a bang. And of course, Ari was fabulous. She donated some tickets to Hamilton and Chicago that we could auction off with a backstage tour with her. And that went for a lot of money. Um, but it brought the energy we needed. That's the other thing. The entertainment is so great for doing at events. And you know, it cost us some money. I think that's another thing I want to say is, is that you've got to be willing to uh, take a little bit of a risk and put some money out there to spend. And mm -hmm. I realize there's that line, you know, you don't want to make it look flashy or that you're not using money that's well spent, but it went with the theme. It wasn't right. as if it was just this strange thing. And People really loved it. Of course, I dressed up in costume. We had some specialty cocktails that went along, you know, my shot and, you know, all the things we weaved it in um, to. So the theme of the event was actually rise up, which is what we ask our clients to do and we want them to do and we help them to do is rise up. So it was a play on the Hamilton theme, obviously, in a song. We used a lot of the song titles as verbiage in our invitation and in our communications. And we just weaved it in from the beginning and uh, it was a really huge success. So thanks to both of you for making me always look good and for bringing the creativity that, that we need and for helping inspire people to not only have a great time, but open up their wallets, which at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. That's yeah. the reason. That's the reason why. Well, it's always a pleasure because you are someone who thinks through these things and understands the value of hitting it right on the head and being very specific in in the theming in the things that go along with the theming, the way it's served up so that it does, every element has a purpose. Nothing falls to the wayside as being, you know, just too much or, or having nothing to do with anything. So um, to that point, when this all hit COVID in, in March of 2019, 2020, I almost said 1920. <laughs> it does feel like so two turn years around, ago. I know, right? <laughs> 
Hi, hi, hi. It's been a long day. It's been a long year, right? It's been a long tunnel, but there's a light at the end of it. There is. There very right. much is. But you were actually one of the first people to, to decide to do a virtual event, and you did a fashion show early in May. I want to say it was in May. Yes, and May 1st. May 1st. And then you did something really, I find, to be really impressive. And again, taking the concept of a theme or a happening and really putting it to good use. And I'm talking about the whole idea, something we've talked about on this program before of puzzles mm -hmm. and puzzling. And we've even mentioned you uh, in, in a little bit about what you, how you took the idea of a puzzle and turned it into a fundraising event. But would you mind sharing a little bit about this and why? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody was home. We were all looking for things to do. I came across an article that was about, you know, puzzles and how popular they were becoming and how it was the, the demand couldn't reach the supply. And so they just absolutely were everywhere and people couldn't get them, you know, they were back ordered. And so I was reading this article about that and I thought, oh, puzzle. We uh, talk about puzzles a lot at Vista Hill, our Stein Education Center, which is a school for those with intellectual and developmental disabilities, mostly on the autism spectrum. And this puzzle piece has long been a symbol of autism. And I thought, you know, we've even done the race for autism here in San Diego and our theme for the team is uh, the Stein puzzlers. So it just went along with that. And I thought, what could we do with the puzzle? So I started Googling and looking up puzzles and Kodak had just come out in April with a 51,300 piece puzzle. It was 27 individual 1900 piece puzzles and they uh, all fit together to be 30 feet by six feet tall. And I thought, that's it, that's it. <laughs> so I went to order it. And of course it was on back order. It was the most expensive puzzle I've ever seen too. So I put my name on, on like three different websites to get it. I didn't get the puzzle till August, but I was talking it up and making my plan. It gave me time and it was the wonders. It's the wonders of the world. They, they took a little bit of creative license with that. Yeah. Um, everything yeah, from Giza to the British Virgin Islands to the London Tower to the Statue of Liberty. And I thought, okay, we've got all these kids and adults with developmental disabilities at home, not necessarily being able to come to school and doing distance learning. And let's use this as an idea to teach them about the different places in the world that nobody can go to right now, but we all wanted to. And that's what we did. We divided them up by weeks. We did distance learning. I thought, let's engage our community and get community members to each take these puzzles and socially distance, do them at home with their families and fundraise like an old fashioned walkathon. We're going to do a puzzle-a-thon and get each piece sponsored a dollar a piece and raise $51,300. So um, we we're going to videotape all of this and document it and take photos and release a documentary on, of course, National Puzzle Day, which is coming up very shortly on mm -hmm. January 29th. So that's my COVID project. Wow. And Alex actually put together with friends yeah. of hers, 1900 mm -hmm. pieces, right? Of the puzzle. 1900. It was on, uh, it was Mount Fuji and um, I have to give credit, uh, our good friend Cher Krieger is the one that kind of, you know, took the charge and got the puzzle and because I thought, well, where am I going to do it in my house, but we ended up doing it solely here. 
and then we just roll it up and they take it home and bring it back. And uh, it was a challenging, I love puzzles. It was challenging. And of course, again, being the whole type A thing, I would stay up till four in the morning. Yes. Like well, four nights in a row. Oh, well, once you start a puzzle, yeah. it's so hard to walk away from it until it's finished. One more piece, one more piece, but it was so fun. And I have to say, the puzzles are stunning. They are. They're, They're beautiful. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Now you, met, you mentioned something else, though, uh, Rachel, about the puzzle that I'd like our listeners to know. And I don't think you mentioned it today. And that is what it represents, the puzzle piece. Yes. So in the 60s, the puzzle piece, somebody said it, it represented autism because it's a puzzling disease. Then it had some controversy over the years. The Autism Society of America and others used it as their logo and their symbol. But then people started to say, you know, it, it might seem as though it doesn't fit in. But I see the puzzle pieces, you know, there's other pieces that have to go with it. So it right. does fit in. It's, it's integral. Exactly. And so that's why we look at it as the positive side of, you know, you have to fit three or four other pieces next to that piece to all come together. And so it's, it, it is a puzzling disease, but we've learned a lot over the years about it. And our clients are so special. And yes, uh, we really we yes. really think it's a, great, a positive symbol. So we're going to continue to use it. And we have had the opportunity to work with some of those clients as well at Bellotta Entertainment, mm -hmm. which brings to mind another project that we worked on with you. And and I'd like you to, to describe what it was and how you came upon it. I don't want to give away the, the, the whole thing. So you start and I'll throw in some comments. Okay. Well, it sounds like all I do is go to theater and the movies, but I was out <laughs> seeing Greatest Showman um, in all of my spare time, but I do love both theater and movies. And um, Greatest Showman was just so fun. It was just great entertainment. I love Hugh Jackman. He's a great guy. <laughs> fun to watch. I actually went to his concert as well. And that's really where I got inspired. So I saw the movie and then I went to his concert and I just thought this is the greatest thing ever. And it's so high energy and it's relevant for multiple ages. That's the other thing that's always really important. I think about a theme that if you want a wide audience that you pick something that really fits a lot of different people and you have to know your demographics and know your audience well. So a million dreams just hit me. And I thought we've probably made a million dreams come true at Vista Hill over the 60 plus years that we've helped so many people. I mean, last the last five or so years, we've helped at least 25,000 people a year here in San Diego. So I thought, yeah, that adds up to over 60 years, a million. No, no problem. Easy, um, easy, easy peasy. So uh, we just went along with that theme. And once again, we took off from our Hamilton idea and wrote a song. But this time I thought, you know what? We have some talent in these clients. Yeah. And they like to sing and they like to dance. And let's bring no, them no, no, out. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Okay. They love to sing. <laughs> yes. and they love to dance. <laughs> yes, it's they do. Beautiful. Yes. It's passionate, very yes. passionate. And I have to tell you this story. You won't know this part, but uh, Yvette and Margaret, who were in our mm -hmm. show and who attend our adult Stein Education Centers, you just did such a wonderful job with them. And Alex even went shopping to get the dress. Mm -hmm make sure it was perfect and it was amazing what they did on the stage and they they ask about you guys all the time oh. and i just recently <laughs> oh my, God, my heart 
saw Yvette because she's transferring from one of our program sites to another, even though they're not actually coming. But so I got on a Zoom with her to say hello and just see how she's doing. And I said, I will never forget that dance you did. And she says, well, hold on. I'm going to go get, she got dressed and everything. While I'm on Zoom, I'm waiting for her. She went and put on the dress and it was amazing. That dress just transformed her into another yeah. being. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing, but to well, say it's, it's so important and, and it'll live with them forever. And not only will right. the people there remember it, but more importantly, our clients, we changed their whole we saw them as people like mm -hmm. everybody else who is talented and has something to offer and contribute. And it just made their whole day, their whole year, their whole life. And it so made, I have to it tell made you, hours. I was, yeah. I was backstage, uh, you know, when I was going to usher Yvette on and, and I was watching it. And even though I, you know, we'd been working with them and had the pleasure of just hanging out with them. I was a bloody mess of tears backstage because watching them out there in front of the audience and soaking it in. It was incredible. I mean, they, it was a gift for every person watching it. Yeah, they're, they're, they were beaming, both of them. And, you know, for us, like you, that's that was worth everything. And we would have totally missed the boat had we said, you know, Rachel, hmm. Yeah, that's a nice idea, but that's a lot of work and we don't really want to do that. It's just not going to look great. You know, they're not really trained and, you know, you can't really trust with anything. We we just didn't go there because there'd be no value mm -hmm. in that. And especially for the young women who were with us on stage who will remember it for a lifetime. That's what we hope for, right? Having a little bit of impact. So Absolutely. Well, not just a little bit of impact, a huge impact. And I just want to say thank you to both of you and kudos to you for having an open mind and open heart. And you both are so kind to do that and patient. And it did take extra work and we appreciated that very much, but it just stole the show. And, you know, it, and it meant so much to the audience too, who was spellbound, literally. Uh, when I saw the videotape afterwards, I thought those guests are just spellbound bound by these two young women and the rest of all of your work and everything was fabulous too. And but it was it, about it was, them for yeah, sure. It was the cherry. Yeah. It was the cherry on top of the Yes, sun. for sure. For sure. So something else about this event that I, I'd like you to talk about. Uh, I talk about it all the time on my, in my board role capacities and that is that you no longer call your big event a gala. You call it a family fun, fun event. Fundraiser. <laughs> exactly. All right, fundraiser. So talk a little bit, if you would, about why you did this and has it had any positive impact for you? Absolutely. So like I said, I wasn't quite sure how to follow up Hamilton, what to do next. And it was, you know, the gala. So I thought, well, let's just change it up and do something different. And forever I have wanted to bring in an event. We're all about family at Vista Hill, but we don't really have an event that celebrates families and multi-generations. And why can't people come to a gala with their kids? Um, I went to a lot of events growing up, probably not appropriate to be going to the charity ball for Radies Children's Hospital, but I did. I was the only kid there. And I thought, let's not make people have to make a choice between getting a sitter and going out to a fundraiser, bring the kids, we'll entertain them too. 
And I remember Rady Children's Hospital and I, uh, some other organizations that I'm involved in as well. I grew up going to those events and now as an adult, I'm still very loyal to them and I still give to them and they still have a soft place in my heart. So that was the legacy I wanted to give to the organization that I work with, Vista Hill, and to our clients because, you know, it's not just about the donor. It's about their kids and grandkids and they're going to leave a legacy. And I want the grandkids to say, Hey, I came to this event with my parents and my grandparents, and now I'm going to bring my kids to it, you know, many generations later. So we all talk about how do we bring in the next generation? How do we get them engaged? How do we, and of course those five-year-olds are not going to raise a bunch of money. Well, I didn't think so year one, not so much, but the event we just talked about, the uh -huh. million dreams. Oh my goodness. I mean, the kids were getting their parents to bid on things and to spend money. And I want to go to Lake Tahoe, mom, and I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And they were encouraging. I mean, who's going to say no to a cute nine-year-old? Right, right. You know, so it was perfect. And the auctioneer was great. And so he even brought up some of the kids to help him. And um, so that's how I came about it. It was, it was genius. And it really was. It serves as a model for all, all nonprofits, especially those that are family centric. But there's something else. You also engaged the daughter of one of your chairs to co-chair, which not only helps to perpetuate the family's participation with Vista Hill, but also in some ways helps a mother and a daughter to bond over something, whether or not they have a great relationship or not. It gives them something to do together. And that is a bonus. Oh, for it, any, is. it absolutely Right? Was. Because I think one of the things that you deal with, especially in nonprofits, when you're dealing with, with a boards and boards, board chairs that are philanthropic, you're dealing with people that may not have jobs, but are committed and have resources and you know a lot of clout and you know they're not always the easiest people to get to come and help so introducing the family aspect gives them another reason to come and give you time oh this could be something i do with my children yes and she was 21 lauren when she co-chaired with her mother and in college at usd about to graduate and she did a fantastic job and they're going to do it again. They had so much fun. Love and it. It was just the perfect. That's now I have awesome. to say, I had my eye on her at the previous year's family fundraiser. And when I spotted her, I said, okay, that girl's going places. And so I'm going to reel her in. And she had great ideas. It was her first opportunity to chair something. And how do you develop the next generation of chairs? You've got to bring in them early and you've got to kind of raise them within the organization and teach them everything you want them to be and, and all of that. So you've got to take a little bit of a leap of faith and it takes a little bit of extra time and energy, which I was happy to uh, give. And uh, I told her that I would plan, help her plan her wedding one day. <laughs> so. Well, so you, okay. You made a deal with the devil. There it's you go. Right. You're used to that. But, but no, uh, in all seriousness, I, I wonder what has been the impact what is how how infectious has it become for you the whole idea of introducing family into oh, your events it's been great and now we thought well why are we just doing it 
with that event, all our events, right? Like the puzzle project, that's family oriented. Mm -hmm. And our fashion show we do every year. Well, heck, bring bring your daughters. And we've always had it during the week. Let's put it on a Saturday. I know a lot of people do events on a Saturday. Bring your husband, bring your kids, bring your grandkids. So all of our events this year uh, will be family centric and um, keeping everybody. Now it's, it's kind of like a bar mitzvah for those who have attended bar mitzvahs. You've got multi-generations that you're having to entertain and think about, but that's okay. Cause let's face it. Remember the candy stations that everybody mm -hmm. loved? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, the adults were there just as much as the kids were, right? For sure. Same kind of thing. Twice so, as much. Nobody wants to go to a stuffy event and eat stuffy food. And, you know, we all want the mac and cheese, the chicken fingers and, you know, the hot dogs and the good stuff. So let's, <laughs> if we have it for the kids, let's just gourmet it up and have it for the adults too. Right. There was something well, else. It brings that a level of energy. I mean, I, I, that you're not going to get when you have that multi-generational aspect to it. And it just livens it up. It's so much fun. And so, I have so to say, fun. we did do one thing that I, I should mention is that we have childcare at Vista Hill. We take care of kids while their moms are in recovery. And so we gave people the option. If you want to bring your kids and put them upstairs with licensed childcare providers and or at least during dinner, or they can sit with you at the table, it's either way, or they could do both. They can kind of come flow Genius. back and forth. And so that way people had their adult time, they could have their cocktails and sit with their friends or, and their kids were being taken care of. And then when it was time for dancing, the kids came down, we gave everybody pajamas and books and they all left with fun things like that. So many of the kids left in their pajamas uh, so that they could just fall asleep in the car on the way home. So lots of little things like that too did come into play. I'd like to also point out that that event, that family fundraiser was not the easiest event logistically because you did it in the Children's Museum. Fabulous location. So beautiful. But you had to change it up a bit to make it work logistically as well. And you were willing to make those changes. Here's the thing. When you're in a venue that doesn't allow you to do things the way you always did them, then do it the way the venue leads you to do it. Don't exactly. try to force it, right? So what are some of the things that you had to do or change up for that? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know, we had kids running everywhere. So mm -hmm. we, we had to think about that and some sec extra security. There were a lot of doors that we had to worry mm -hmm. about and things like that. But we utilized, it was a children's museum, the new children's museum. And so, you know, they had a chalkboard in the middle. We, we did a design on that as made it thematic. We, they had a mattress room and well, a million dreams. It's about dreaming beds. Of course you, you dream when you're sleeping. So they said, oh, we clear that out. I'm like, no, no, leave the mattresses. And it was great. Mm -hmm. The kids were all in there jumping all over the place. Parents. But, but one of the things was that, you know, during the live auction, or when you want people's attention pulling on the heartstrings, you've got kids running all over screaming and yelling and all of that. So you do have to think about, and those are some lessons learned, that during the quiet time or the times when you really need people's attention, maybe having story time for the kids or something mm -hmm. that's low key. Um, so we learned a few lessons and I, I think you learn, I hopefully learn something new out of every event and I take it with me to make the next event better. But one of the things I, I would be remiss if I didn't say is, is that I am very fortunate to take some risk and some to make some changes because my board is very trusting 
and our executive team is, it gives me a lot of latitude. I don't do any of this alone. It's all a team effort. And I'm just really fortunate that people are supportive of these kind of crazy ideas and making changes. And so far they've been really successful, but you've got to be willing to say, you know what, you're one of the family fundraiser. We had it at the Fleet Science Center. It didn't make as much. And I knew that was going to happen, but it was an investment in the future. Right. And sometimes you've got to be willing to look at the long game and not the short game. You've got to invest now for later. And I think that's a lesson of COVID too. We've got to invest in the long game. I mean, if you think about it, Rachel, it it really is already paying off for you, although maybe mm-hmm. not as you know the way we would like it. But the fact that you could engage people for the puzzles has a lot to do with the fact that you had already started to engage the family. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And that's something about you that I, I honestly don't think that you um, give yourself enough credit for. And that is, yeah, my goodness, you never see the reasons... No, I shouldn't say it that way. You do see the reasons why something shouldn't be done, but you also take the bull by the by the horns. And if something feels right and you can envision it and at all, the pieces seem to fall into place in your mind, you can run with a vision and people will follow that vision because it is so clear. And whether or not it's clear in your head is another story, <laughs> but it feels really clear. And maybe... You know, the trust that we get from you to be part of that vision, which I completely mm-hmm. honor and adore, um, you know, is part of that. You create a team and you have a team that you trust. But still, uh, and in my own, again, my own work on boards, and you know the frustrations that I've had on some of the boards that I've sat on with regard to our fundraising efforts, It's I use you as an example because you understand not only as an event professional, but as somebody responsible for raising money. And I think this year it's over a million dollars you're, you need to raise yes, and God yes. bless you. You're almost, you're almost there and your year has another eight, eight months left. So maybe nine. So good for you. But the reason you're so good at it is because you're focused and you have a can do attitude. When mm-hmm. all of this hit, you didn't say, Oh, well, can't do anything. You thought, what can I do? What can I do? And that's where a lot of other people in your position, they fall short because you're, you have to be always thinking what can be done, especially when you are challenged to raise the kind of money you need to raise. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think really, again, it's that trust and the relationship building that you mentioned because I wouldn't have been able to say, hey, let's go ahead and do this virtual event in less than four weeks if I didn't have a lot of people who said, yes, if she says she can do it, we're on board with her. We're not exactly sure where she's going with this. We haven't done this before, but we're willing because we know her, we know the relationship, we trust. And that's really the key component that I'm very fortunate. And I have a lot of friends to thank like you and Gretchen Productions who helped the fashion show and everything. So, well, also you're very clear about the vision. And when you, when you engage somebody, you give them 
as much detail as you possibly have. You share the reasons why you give them the nuggets that you, you know, have determined are going to make this a fabulous event. You've give, you've shared that it's so important and you, you trust, you trust your, your partners and they trust you in return that the things you tell them will come to fruition. And that's it. You know, if, if, and it doesn't mean that things won't change and that, you know, God, the, the crap might hit the fan at some point, but you are very upfront about those things as soon as you learn them and you still have a can-do attitude about what we as a community or we as, a, as the team on this event can do uh, to make it work. I think we had one of those moments in one of our events with staging that was late. Yes. And, and you were- A million dreams. And, yes. Right, a million dreams. And we- we were in a museum. We were talking about the Children's Museum. One of the one of the limitations in working with a museum is the time frame, how much time you have to set up. And we had very limited times. So we had asked Rachel, hey, the stage needs to be the first thing that goes in by the production company that's on this event because we need to get up there and stage it as they're doing everything else. Well, it was late, it wasn't happening. And- Despite my best efforts, by the way, I had communicated. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was on every timeline. Right, right. <laughs> and that's how things go, you know. They despite happens. That's part that's, of live events. Right. And so you 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 have to all come together and make it work as a team. Nobody has the right at that point to say, I told you so, point a finger, get nasty, get rude. It's all about making it work and coming together as a team. And, you know, then saying a few Hail Marys and genuflecting, and then you can move on. <laughs> I'm good with those Hail Marys. I know, I know right? <laughs> but I, but I did want to say in defense of myself, I am pretty much a rule follower most of the time, but I do like to stretch the box a little bit. And I like to see where there are workarounds and ways you can leverage different opportunities and not just say, I've got this box. I have to stay in these four walls. There's always a way to get around it. There's always a way to use your relationships and your partnerships and say to people, these are the challenges I've have, I'm having. I mean, I came to you, Anthony, and I said, I've got this event in 16 days and I know I've got to do something for the opener. I I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And you said, I'll just take it. I mean, that was like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, I was so, I'll be eternally grateful because we can't all do it. And it's times like these, we have to come together and work together and be there for each other. And you've got to be willing to let go of the ball sometimes and say, okay, I'm passing this off to you and just let it go. I didn't give you virtually yep. any direction. And I just, I said, I trusted you and said, and it was fabulous. It was great and wonderful. And uh, so thank you again, my friend. That was very- Thank you. Wonderful. Anytime. I think you're talking about the fashion show. Yes, I am talking about yeah. the fashion show. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. No, yeah, which was had... virtual, which was a last minute. Yeah. Like I got to do this virtually. And you did it. Yeah, I think it was the it. first one. I think yeah. it was one of the first virtual events. Yeah, for sure. I think it was yeah. too here in yeah, San Diego. It was. At least. So, yeah. Well, I just have to say, you know, I mean, the, the the level of courage that you show, Rachel, which, you know, I know most people think courageous acts involve running into a burning building, but running into a burning event, <laughs> you know, just having working and it's scary. And I think the reason why you get it done and your board does trust you is they see your commitment. But, you know, it, it, it takes a courageous person to be a, a visionary, which is what I believe you are. I know we all believe you are, which she, is what you are. 
She's always willing to jump off the cliff first. Because uh, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about the Hamilton event now and the fact that we did it at a hotel. And I think we were the first event at that hotel, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, my, oh, my 2021 oh. New Year's resolution is to not do an event in a new venue for the first time, is to, you know, all these different things. But at the Hamilton event, that was a challenge. And at the Million Dreams event, we actually did have a fire, a kitchen fire, um, while that was all going on, the setting up and everything. So we we literally, I, I was running through fire that evening. It, it wasn't but, exciting enough. But nobody would have known, right? Because at least my hair nobody and my knew. nails and my dress matched the theme. By the way, that's a big thing with me. The dress always has to yes. match the theme. But at Hamilton, yes, we had some challenges with opening a new hotel, but it had the right feel for the event. So I went again, taking a little risk. And you have to know when you're going to jump off that building, sometimes the net isn't going to be there when you want it to be. And you've got to be willing to take some bruises and some cuts and scrapes and broken bones to, uh, to sacrifice that. Um, but at the end of the day, it always all comes together. And that's, again, relying on your team who's going to be there. But yeah, we've had some and some uh, interesting times. And I, I just want to say, because this points to your integrity, taking the responsibility, being accountable yeah. is what make it is what garners respect yeah. from people, not pointing a finger, not being afraid to take responsibility. It's it's saying, hey, yeah, the buck stops here. I made this decision. These are the reasons why. And I, you know, I apologize. We'll do it. This is how I'm gonna fix it. It's those kinds of things that exactly. makes right? That makes you professional, Rachel, and makes you who you are. Thank you. So I don't want to take up much of your time, but I do want to ask you an important question because these times are changing. And I am again seeing it in fundraising events that there seems to be a lack of interest in these things and a lack of the uh, a lack uh, uh, of um, success in them and well and I'm talking about live auctions and silent auctions and where you see them in the scope of future fundraising events well we've really gone away from uh, silent auctions or we've not a hundred percent but they have definitely reduced in size um, live auctions as well and I, I really feel that they're kind of on their way out. Um, I, I think they're going to be here for a little bit longer or people are going to try it. I mean, honestly, I don't know where we're all going to get all these trips and everything that are going to happen with the way the world is right now. I'm not sure people are going to want to be traveling to Bora Bora, or to the Bahamas or wherever, right. you know, right away. So, you know, and I think it's going to be tough times to go to hotels and restaurants and say, give me gift certificates and night stays and things like that when everybody's going to has been struggling for so long. So I think people might need to think again outside the box and not rely on that and at least to be very mindful that it's going to be challenging to get, procure the items and to raise the money that way. Um, which is sad because I have to say this year for Christmas, I was looking around and thinking, oh gosh, usually I go to all these events all year round and I buy all these auction items to give to my parents and to different things. And basically the auction item box was pretty empty. So I think some people still enjoy it. And I think we, we're gonna have to come up with a way to, to figure that out. But I think in the next year or two, there's gonna have to be a different way to raise those, those, those funds. I can't agree with you more. I've, I've never been a proponent of live auctions specifically, especially long ones. And I think I've long, as long as I've been producing, 
I have uh, recommended that clients keep them to three prizes, five if they really can't do three, because, you know, unless you're an active participant in those things, you usually get become alienated from the event or just become, mm -hmm. you know, disinterested. And I will never forget, it was an event I did for the La Jolla Playhouse, the very first one I did. And their live auctioneer came on stage, not Clint Bell, because he is the most charming. And if it weren't for him, I think the live auction would have died a long time ago, mm -hmm. quite honestly, yes. because this is a man who brings such charm and effervescence to the role. It's incredible. But um, the auctioneer, not Clint Bell, came on stage and there were 300 people in the theater. 200 of them walked out to the lobby to get a drink the minute he walked out. And I knew this is this is just no way this is going to work. And it just doesn't. It, it Most yeah. people want to walk away. They just don't because they're too embarrassed. Well, I have a funny story about that, actually, when you mentioned um, that I received the Woman of Dedication from the Salvation Army, which was a huge honor back in 2016. And I, uh, I think there were about 900 people in that event. Mm -hmm. And again, when the live auctioneer came up, she was not good, not local. Uh, and she was literally screaming at people. I mean, she was making people feel bad. And so I got up to use the restroom while there was a long line at the women's room because everybody had that idea. And I was in the stall and I heard somebody in the restroom say, has anybody seen Rachel Panici? Because um, she's an event planner and I bet she could get that woman off the stage. And I thought, <laughs> So I stayed in the stall a little longer than I would have yeah. normally because I didn't want. And so I, I thought I'd stayed in long enough. And so I came out and I'm washing my hands and somebody goes, oh, there she is, Rachel. That auctioneer is awful. What can you do? And I said, you know, I'm an honoree. This isn't my event. I don't really want to take charge of somebody else's event. So I went over to the sound booth and I said, just cut the sound, like turn down yeah. her volume because she was literally screaming at people. So they, they did. I, I mean, I can't believe, I must've looked like I knew what I was talking about or in charge or something. You do, yes. And so, so they listened to me because it wasn't my event. And next thing you know, she's tapping the microphone and she's saying, who turned down my sound? Turn it back up. <laughs> she's yelling this into the audience. <laughs> oh my gosh. But anyway, we're, we're off topic. It's always so no. cool to do that. But, but no, I that's... think, but auctions are, Again, if I always say when you said your three events or, or I mean three auction items or five auction items, my question always when a board member or a committee member says, well, what about this? I say, is it unique? Is it a unique experience that somebody can't get somewhere else? Is it a fan favorite? Case in point, Rancho La Puerta. You know, they're very generous. They give it to lots of organizations. But, you know, we have 20 people at our event who go to Rancho La Puerta. Would they rather give the money to Vista Hill than pay Rancho La Puerta? Probably. And they're going to go anyway. So fan favorite. Is it a unique opportunity? Is it something new? Is it a new hotel like we were talking about that's opening mm -hmm. or something like that? So those are the kind of criteria I use for thinking of that. Um, and sometimes you'll have the same thing over and over again because it is a fan favorite. We had the Magic Castle for many years. They, they, that's not an opportunity that's available anymore. But we would have a bidding war every year. Um, we had the San Francisco Giants going there, which doesn't seem, but they got to go behind the scenes. And one of our, 
our donors is John Miller. He's an award-winning announcer for the Giants and people got to go in the announcer booth and sit with him. Again, unique opportunity. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of things I think will still be around for a while, but the, you know, throw every game you have that everybody donates or the wine basket, no offense to all the birds out there who everybody contributes a gift certificate or to a restaurant or a wine bottle or whatever been there, done that. It does, you know, it typically goes pretty well, but we got to, we got to stretch ourselves people. We got to come up with some new ideas. And I wonder about some of those ideas. I'm constantly trying to come up with new ways to, you know, raise money at events. And my feeling is you've got to do it throughout the event. It has to be sort of surprising Mm -hmm. and create a little intrigue and interest, but there's no hard and fast way anymore. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Case in point, uh, Alex mentioned I do a lot of work at the Mission San Diego de Acala and or Acala, however, either, either, neither, neither, tomato, I, tomato. I don't tomato, know. Tomato. I, I'm still going with Alcala. Alcala. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I say it both ways. It just depends on what mood I'm in. Anyway, we had our 250th uh, anniversary, California's first mission. I sat on the steering committee for that, and we decided to do a fundraising event every week for 52 weeks at the mission. <sighs> And cultural, spiritual, historic, you know, all these different, engage the community, engage the parish, engage everybody. Well, you can imagine after a while, you know, you can only do so many wine tastings or this thing or that thing and talk about auction items and that kind of thing. Well, our priest at the time, Father Billy, had very long hair and the pastor of the church did not particularly love his long hair. So what did we do? We did a fundraiser, (laughs) cut his hair. People bought raffle tickets and we literally shaved his head there at the last day, you know, of our festival of the bells, which is, a I big was event. there. Yeah. And they, that was a huge fundraiser because it's unique. It's different. Everybody loves father Billy. Everybody loved the little camaraderie and the competition between father Peter and father Billy and this whole thing. And it was great. We did it on Facebook live and people participated. So we did a lot of fun and unique things that year that were different and uh, brought people together. Again, community, everybody wanted to watch it. They wanted to see it. They were rooting for him. You know, we were going to do it as, and so he took that idea and did it again for the school, the Nazareth school there. Um, And they did, they got to uh, cut his hair into a mohawk if they raised a certain amount of money at their walkathon. So I love that. Yeah. So Father Billy. Father Billy. God love him. Talk about making something accessible, which when you make people who may appear not accessible, I'm sure he he is, but you think of a priest, a father is not necessarily being that kind of, you know, guy you hang out with. And when you you open that up to people, it makes them, it gets them excited. It makes them want to open. Open up. Yeah, we did a we did a whiskey and cigar uh, party one night. And I invited some friends who are not necessarily Catholic. And uh, she came up to me and she said, if I had known there was whiskey served at the church, I would have been here a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't understand. Everybody knows that the clergy drinks. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And, 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 you know, Father Billy is the complete opposite of the stoic priest that we grew up with. I mean, he is as warm and wonderful as any human could be. Yeah, He's I'm doing so a, a wedding with him next weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing him. So. I think you've met him, Alex. He actually attended a Homestart event with Rachel. One oh. Year. Yes. Oh, well, that's okay. a whole other funny story. So Rachel's we're sitting date. There at the, 
Yeah. He was my date. And we didn't tell anybody he was a priest because he was dressed up in, what was it? He was in a suit. Oh, oh, was it? Yes, it was. It was the, um, like, he had like a yes. leisure suit on. Yes, 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 yes. And it was one of his first fundraising events. He was attending as the priest. So we sat there. And so there was a couple, an older couple at our table across from us who were also Catholic, actually, come to find out. And she said, oh, how long have you two been married? And I said, oh, he's not my husband. He's my father. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no, really, he's a priest. And the husband thought it was hilarious. And she just looked at me like I had done something so sacrilegious. Oh, my. (laughs) I felt like like the look in her eye had to go to confession. So you did. Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay, kiddo, we're going to let you go soon. But I do want to play a little song, song with you, if you don't mind. Oh, okay, wait. But before you do, I wait. have a few things I want to say. I always get the last word. Okay, but wait. Bef- okay. Okay. I just want to say that I think the differentiation between you and other people in the field that do what you do is you don't just entertain people. You bring your heart and your spirit and all of you into the event. And I want to thank you for that. And I look forward to getting back to doing that with the two of you very soon, hopefully. And uh, it's, it's not just about entertaining people. It's about building those relationships and those friendships. And like you said, you have the same audience sometimes year after year. And so you got to bring it every year. And they love you. We love you. And I just want to thank you for all that you do for our community here in San Diego and for all that you do um, as individuals and collectively as Balada Entertainment. So thank you very much. Thank you. Right back at you. Thank you. So but thank you. My Vista Hill, I have to say they're my favorite events. Whenever I start seeing I'm CC'd on emails with you, <laughs> I, I, I get really excited because I know I'm going to get to work on something fun Yeah, and that's going to have meaning and it, it just warms my heart. Love it more than anything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, honestly, I think people need more that more than ever before. So I look forward to creating more of those moments with you. Yes. Fun ahead. Oh, uh, Rachel pleasure. Panici with Vista Hill and also with Planet. So this is a little game. We play this or that. Very okay. simple. I'll give you a this and a that. And you tell us this or that, which one you okay. prefer. Uh, you do get a one. You can pick both or you can say neither. Out of the 10, actually there are 11. One okay. time you can pick both. Each of those things I can say once? We'll give you each, but okay. I don't think you're going to want them. Okay. All right, here we go. Matthew Morrison or Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman. Yes. Turner Classic <laughs> Movies or Bravo Channel? That's hard. I'm going to say Bravo. Puppies oh. or kittens? Puppies. Oh. Although really neither, but I'm saving my neighbor yeah, just in It's case. okay. Uh, <laughs> Italian or barbecue? <laughs> Italian. Okay. That was Good an girl. easy one. Uh, bowling or golf? Oh my gosh, both. For sure, both. Okay, there yeah. you go. You used it. Okay, used you might it. get a neither now. Okay. Chanel or Versace? Oh, these are hard. Um, Chanel. Mountains or oceans? Mountains. Mariah or Selena? Celine. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping for something. Yeah. Sweet or salty? Oh, sweet all day long and mm-hmm. twice on Sunday. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so then I, so you said sweet, right? So then it goes to donuts or cookies? Donuts. Mm -hmm. Last one, buffet or plated? Well, if it's a dessert buffet, it's the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where I would have used my both. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it does depend, but I'm going to say plated. Plated. I'll go with plated yeah. too. I think yeah, all yeah, things considered, a plated event is generally thought of as being a little bit nicer and easier to manage. Yeah. But but there's definitely something to be said for those roaming buffet events, especially yes. with a lot of people in them and a lot of buffets. Exactly. You know, it's like a smorgasbord. You can just walk around the room. Well, and, and I think it's always so good when, especially now with all the different food allergies and preferences and too many things to even think about lactose intolerant, gluten-free, all, all the right. wonderful things that we have to offer. Um, it's, it's nice that you don't have to pick a meal that sort of satisfies the 1%. You can, right. you know what I mean? Right, right. But there is you a can, premium to be paid for that too. Yes, exactly. So I, I think sometimes buffet is the, the better way to go. We, we did a food station for our first family uh, fundraiser and it was a construction Theme, so everything had to be constructed and that was pretty fun and we did theme it Ooh. so that's fun too when you can bring the food into the theme and we had wrecking ball station and everything was a ball on a stick you know and then um we had a concrete station which was a mashed potato bar that had sweet potato mash and other kinds and you could add all the things you wanted so we we, we went to town with the theme on did that. you have any deconstructed yes deconstructed salad bar and uh, yeah, we had quite a few things like that. Don't, so don't test Rachel. Don't test her. Oh, no. <laughs> especially when it comes to food. Oh, my yeah. God. And, it, and especially when it comes to really fleshing out an event so that you get the most from the theme and the meaning. Yeah. And so you are. Yeah, it was it was great. That event, um, we actually had T-shirts made that said difference makers at work. And then we had pink hard hats for the crew. Oh, I love and it. I even had a pink uh, work belt and pink work boots custom made. And so, the, I mean, it was quite the getup, let me tell you. So I want people, pictures. Got to, people got to wear jeans and it was super fun. So you, that's the other thing I would say, dressing down. Let's all dress. Well, I don't know. Maybe everybody's going to go to dressing up because we've all been in our pajamas for yeah. A year, that's, so. that's if we fit into our clothes. I know that's exactly. there's the thing. There's 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 the rub. Yeah. I keep blaming the fact that my jeans don't fit on the fall I took on the Segway because I keep <laughs> saying my hip is still swollen. It must be because these jeans fit. <laughs> I'm going to use that excuse even though I didn't fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's another story. Rachel, we love Great you. to see both of you. Thank this you. was so fun. Thanks for making it fun. And I look forward to seeing you at the next event, hopefully in oh, late spring, early summer. Let's hope for that. Let's hope for it. Uh, everyone, Rachel Panici with Vista Hill and Planet San Diego. And we love you. And we love you too. Thank we wish you. you more live events. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye, love. I think we've um, given our listeners something to mm -hmm. chew on. That was, again, Rachel Panici with Vista Hill of, and also with Planet in San Diego. If you enjoyed what you heard, please let us know. 
send us an email at info at bolada.com or um, just give us five stars. That'll do too, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, wherever you find your podcast, on Android, on iPhone, on Spotify, on Stitcher, uh, we're going to be everywhere soon. So you're not going to be able to avoid us. Just look for that crazy face, Bolotified. Alex, any last words? You know, um, I just keeping within the spirit of Rachel and giving, let's go into this new year, especially given some of the things that have happened of late, loving one another, doing best for our community and each other, and giving as much of ourselves wholly and genuinely as we can. I completely agree. And just in case that doesn't work, you can always rely on these two words. Who cares? And with that, I say goodbye. (laughs) Say goodbye, Alex. Goodbye, Alex. Bye-bye. She was good. Oh, yeah. She's great. She was great.